Welcome to the People Teaching People podcast. My name is Tiana Fesh. I'm a mom of three, an educator, a course development consultant, and a lifelong learner. Teaching and learning can take place anytime, anywhere, and in a multitude of ways. The range of knowledge and skills to teach and to learn about are truly limitless. But at the heart of all teaching and learning experiences are the people. The People Teaching People podcast is the place to talk about the who, what, when, where, why, and how of teaching and learning in a world where there is always more to discover. Education plays an important and integral role in all facets of our lives. How we work, do business, live, play, explore, and build relationships. Let's talk teaching and learning together. Welcome to the People Teaching People podcast. Joining me on the podcast is Dana Fulweiler-Volk. Dana and I connected in a community for female entrepreneurs, and I am so grateful that our paths have crossed. In our conversation, I appreciated Dana's openness in sharing her own personal well-being journey and her aha moments along the way. She has a wealth of knowledge and strategies that you will be able to easily implement into your day-to-day without having it be something that you need to check off at the end of the day before you head to sleep at night. This episode will inspire you to be more curious, both inwardly and outwardly, and it'll get you thinking about purpose, hope-mongering, positive disruption, and how these ideas fit into your own life and journey. Dana is dedicated to helping people and communities thrive. Dana is the founder of WellEd, an initiative supporting well-being and education, and co-founder, host of the Teacher Fan Club, a well-being hub and podcast. Dana holds a Master of Applied Positive Psychology from the University of Pennsylvania, where she studied with global leaders in well-being science and a Master of Education from the University of Saskatchewan, where she conducted award-nominated research on sustainable whole school well-being. She has served as an assistant instructor in the MAP program at UPenn and is an instructor in the first mandatory school well-being course in a Canadian Bachelor of Education program at the University of Calgary. Dana has also co-authored book chapters on well-being and anti-racism in education and served as an expert consultant with the government. Dana applies her expertise in well-being science across different industries, including as an advisor for a tech startup and consultant for local and global clients, such as the International Coaching Federation's Thought Leadership Institute. Dana's previous career seasons included classroom teacher, international student coordinator, and mental health specialist. Thank you so much for joining me, Dana. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So where I wanted to start off today is to learn more about you and your story. And I'm just wondering if there was a particular catalyst that led you to study positive psychology and well-being science and 
What was your journey into this field like? Mm-hmm. I have always been really interested in how we could be proactive with mental health. And this really kicked into high gear when I started teaching junior high. And I started to realize that we were really reactive. And also I was really reactive with my own mental health and well-being. And, you know, you were waiting until something goes wrong and then dealing with it. And I also noticed and observed that that's how the system really is because we're always putting out fires and things like that. And I got really curious about how we could be more proactive. Also looking around me and seeing really resilient people, people facing really tough challenges and navigating through them seemingly with ease and strength and sometimes even growing as a result of those challenges. And also thinking about the place that I I started teaching in was so life-giving. It was such an energizing workspace. And I didn't really have the language for it at the time, but now I want to reverse engineer that workspace and think, how can we actually create environments where people feel a true sense of belonging and actual psychological safety? What conditions need to be in place so that those things can really take root and flourish in a sustainable way. So that's kind of where it started. And then I did a graduate degree in education focused around whole school well-being and building sustainable school well-being with a focus on the teachers as the people who would then be doing that work in the schools and the ripple effect that happens when teachers are well. And then when I moved to high school, I started teaching high school psychology and discovered an entire field that was dedicated to exactly what I was on my soapbox about for all those years, which was positive psychology or the science of well-being. And so I was teaching psychology and I would weave positive psychology into our lessons and semester after semester, students would just light up thinking about this, thinking about their strengths. And in fact, sometimes they would say, this is the first time I've ever thought about my strengths in this way, or, you know, the skills or behaviors or mindsets I could actively cultivate to help me navigate through the good and the hard times, because joy can also be really tough and vulnerable to savor and experience. So at that same time, you know, there were things going on in my own life and my personal life, I would say the catalyst really, so there was a lot of buildup, I guess, to that point, but the real catalyst to me pursuing my dream, which at that point after teaching psych for so many years was to study from the founder of positive psychology, Dr. Martin Seligman at the University of Pennsylvania. I just had this, it was always in the back of my mind that how wonderful it would be to go and study and learn from these people. And then bring that learning back and and try to infuse it into schools and my life. But the catalyst was my dad, really. So I was really grateful to grow up with a dad who was incredibly optimistic and generous and resilient. He fought cancer for many years before he received a terminal diagnosis. And when he did, I asked him, what would you like to do? What, like, what have you always wanted to do? you know, do you want to travel somewhere? Is there something that you'd like to see? And he responded with something 
really powerful that shifted a lot of things for me. He said, I've lived the life I wanted to live. And he said it so calmly. He said, I just want to spend as much time as I can with my girls and playing golf. (laughs) And I felt relief for my dad and a sense of peace for him with that. And, you know, myself as his daughter felt a lot of peace with that response, a calm knowing that while his life was cut shorter than he obviously wanted it to be and we wanted it to be, he had lived it in the ways that he truly had wanted to live it. It also naturally prompted my own life reflection. You know, was I living the life that I wanted to live? Could I say the same thing if I was in the position that he's in at that time? And in a lot of ways, the answer was yes. And in some ways, the answer was no, because I had these shifts happening within me. I wanted to try different things and make a shift away from teaching, even though I loved it. And there's this push and pull and anyone who's been a teacher maybe can relate to it. (laughs) You're nodding. (laughs) I've been both a junior high and high school teacher. So I'm feeling this. Yes. Yes. And it's, you know, I think a lot of people make assumptions when someone leaves teaching that they were unhappy in some way. And that just wasn't the case. I just was ready. I love change, to be honest. And I've finally embraced that within myself. But there's a lot in our world that tells you you should just go down a path, you know, stick with that path, and all will be great. And it's not that I was unhappy, but I just wanted I wanted change and adventure. And really, I love to learn. That's what brought me into teaching. And it's also what set me down this path of learning about positive psychology. So it was actually the year after my dad passed away that I decided to apply to the program, to the MAP program at Penn, and was really so honored and floored that I got accepted and was able to do that with so much support from friends and family and my husband. And yeah, that, that's kind of the, the story, I guess, of what brought me to this field. And I just love it so much. It's not happyology. Sometimes it's misrepresented as think positive all the time and minimizing suffering. It's not about toxic positivity. And, and that's real, you know, when we're sharing something that's going wrong and people minimize that. It's more about the fact that psychology as a field can be just as focused on what goes right with us and building more of that in a proactive way as it is with what goes wrong with us and mitigating that. And that both are really important. It's just that we traditionally have been really focused on going from the you know, negative 10 to neutral as opposed to living above neutral and thinking how can we build relationships and positive flow experiences and a sense of meaning and purpose and set goals and create habits that enable us to thrive. And I think it's just relevant in all these different fields. You know, I've, I've been doing it in education and also in organizations and just in one-on-one individuals' lives to help us create practices of well-being. That's really, it's just a ongoing practice. <laughs> 
It absolutely is. And first of all, I want to say I'm sorry for the loss of your dad. Thank you. And obviously his message resonated with you in such a powerful, such an impactful way. And what I, what really resonated for me through your story, because I learned so many things about you that I didn't know, (laughs) is just your sense of curiosity and always wanting to learn. And, you know, the learning that happened with your students and junior high is such a special time. And that's a great way to put it. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It's, it's a special time. I remember working with junior high students and thinking, wow, one day if I have kids and when they're teenagers, I don't, I loved them so much, but they went home at the end of the day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But setting them up for success. And as you said, being proactive versus reactive. And then the learning that happened for you in high school and then having the courage to make that that change for yourself. It's it is tough. And I I remember making the call to the school board when I resigned. And just as you said, you this be, becoming a teacher was something I wanted to do since I was seven years old. Mm-hmm. And it felt it was it was a really tough decision to make. It was a really tough phone call to make, but I also love to learn and all the other exciting opportunities I've had in having the courage to make that decision have been fantastic. And it wasn't that I hated teaching at all. I loved many, many things about it. Same, same. I think that what I've learned, and I don't know, maybe this is similar for you, is that the skills that you build through that profession too are so embedded naturally in all of these other, you know, adventures we've gone on since then. And you're always teaching in some way. So that kind of the best parts about education to me were connecting with kids and colleagues and parents and seeing ahas and helping people to grow and see their own strengths and recognize themselves. And that's what I still get to do. And you too, you know, there's, there, there's pieces of that that are peppered into the next career season. But I, I love thinking about it in those terms, thinking about different career seasons. And for me, I love to change it up. So I, embracing that is helpful, but it does take a lot of courage. It it's a does. really, it's a gulpy decision. <laughs> it is a gulpy yeah. decision. Absolutely. And yeah, I, I mean, I tell my kids when they're sort of thinking, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up and I don't want to do and what I don't know what I want to do. And I think about, as I mentioned, we have a 16 year old and Mm -hmm. he has one year left of high school next year. He's not sure what he wants to do, but I can tell him in a completely honest way that I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. I'm still figuring it out. So (laughs) he, he doesn't need to have that clear answer. He can, you know, have that journey and do that discovery and try different things and yeah. have lots of different experiences. Yeah. Now I wanted to talk a little bit about language. We mm. hear so many buzzwords these days when it comes to our health and well-being. And what can well-being mean in real life terms? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love I love that question. One way that has personally been helpful to me because I'm a huge research nerd in the way that 
I love to learn about what's worked well on a research side, but really practical. What can we actually do? Because we can, I could talk about self-compassion, for example, all day long and about the science of it and how it builds our resilience and sense of agency and helps us connect to others, but to actually practice self-compassion and talk to myself as I would a dear friend in real time is extremely difficult <laughs> to do. And I think well-being for me, I describe it or think of it even for myself as feeling good and functioning well or feeling good and functioning optimally through the ebbs and flows of life and building skills and behaviors and mindsets that can help me through all of that. In practice, it's in the doing. You know, the, the confidence is in the doing, but also well-being, I, I think, is in that practice of it. And that was a huge awakening for me in my own journey with well-being was realizing you can read all the books you want about this. You can nerd out about all the things. When it comes down to it, when you're in a moment of suffering to put your hands on your heart and take a deep breath and say, this is a moment of suffering. This is a difficult moment. Everyone suffers. What am I feeling in this moment? And what do I need to move forward? How can I treat myself as I would a dear friend? What advice would I give to a friend in this situation? And to take those seconds, that was seconds, to actually embody it, that's when we build the new neural pathways and a new way of being. You know, it's, I hope that makes sense, but it's kind of in the doing and in the embodying that enables just the being when you can just be a person who's self-compassionate. <laughs> and it's, uncomfortable. So for me, I'll write sticky notes as reminders to, to do that because it takes time to actually embed it and thinking about habit stacking. So, or, you know, thinking about systems that you already have in place in your life or things that you need to do routines that are already happening, like driving to work, you know, what's something that a practice that you could start on that drive to work. And figuring out what works best for you, because there's a lot of noise out there, as you said, a lot of buzzwords. And I think they're buzzy because we're not experiencing them. We're not embodying them. Like, what, do, what does well-being mean to you? Because what it means to me doesn't need to be what it means to you. What does it mean to you? And I think that feeling good, functioning well is, for me, a really simple way to think about it through the ebbs and flows of life, because I'm not always going to be feeling well. It's also being able to navigate my full emotional spectrum. And I guess not just navigate it, but embrace it, <laughs> you know, and accept that guilt, for example, what message is that trying to tell me and lean into it? Does that answer your question or start to answer your question? Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Because I, I think... You know, it's so easy to get caught up in looking around us, as we often do, and seeing people living well and living their best life. And oh. yeah. <laughs> or or living, living the best life that's shown, I guess. Right, exactly. We're seeing sort of that <laughs> The <snapshot>. curated. <laughs> the curated, yeah, curated version of their best life. And I, I think it's easy to kind of fall into that trap of questioning, right? And and oh, yeah. not really doing that inward looking 
work, as you said, in simple ways. So I, I absolutely love the way that you described it. And also attaching, you know, those little habits, as you said, to things we're already doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as well, acknowledging that, you know, being well doesn't mean that we're happy all the time. A hundred percent. And I think that is a huge misconception when we're talking, even when happiness is the focus, you know, I, I love thinking about for my myself and even just the work I do with people about fulfillment and mm. feeling a sense of purpose in our lives and feeling alive in our life while we're here. That Like, what are those things that light you up? and finding ways. And also what are your strengths? What are the things that you find that come really naturally to you and are really energizing to you? And if anyone's curious, there's a free survey you can do at viacharacter.org that will give you a constellation of your 24 character strengths. And if you look at your top five to seven and try to infuse more of those into your daily life, because they come naturally to you. So they're easy to do and they're energizing. They're a natural boost. So for example, gratitude is one of my top strengths. And through the pandemic and kind of coming through it, I started a gratitude podcast with a friend because I just needed more of that in my life. So I think self-awareness is a big part of making well-being practical as well. So learning about yourself Again, because as you said, there's so much opportunity for comparison out there right now. It's right at our fingertips. And what we're seeing is not the everyday reality of what people are living truly because no one has it all put together. (laughs) None of us really know what we're doing. (laughs) So (laughs) No, we don't. We don't. (laughs) We actually, we have a sign at our front door that says being an adult is like folding a fitted sheet. No one really knows how. (laughs) And it's just a great reminder when we leave the house and come back into the house that you're okay. You're just, all of us are in this, you know, experience together doing the best we can with what we have. That is the perfect analogy. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I, you should see my fitted sheets. It's very reflective <laughs> of my experiences as a Ours too. Ours too. <laughs> so in your own journey, has there really been that aha moment for you in terms of your own well-being and hope and purpose? I know you talked about the conversation with your dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that kind of that moment or was have there been some other moments or experiences or opportunities along the way? Yeah, there have been several. I would say my encounters with death, actually, and illness have definitely shifted my own perspective of time, opportunity, moving through fear that we all have. I'll talk about that. But I think, yeah, those have been major ahas and watching people be resilient through incredibly challenging situations and learning more about post-traumatic growth and growth that can happen after someone has gone through something hard. Those have been ahas for me, things that I didn't really realize before. But I would say maybe one of the most impactful 
aha moments that I'm continually, you know how sometimes you have an aha moment or an epiphany and then you kind of forget it <laughs> and it fades into the background and then you keep having to be remi- reminded of it. Yes. <laughs> so I have this one a lot <laughs> where I just have to be me and relax a little bit. And I feel I, I put a lot of pressure on myself and from the work that I do with people, I know I'm not alone in that in putting a lot of pressure on myself and learning about where that's learned from and conditioned and how to unlearn it. But yeah, we live in a world that's constantly telling us messages that we're not enough in some way. And I think that accepting and loving ourselves is a real act of rebellion in that type of world. And it's hard. It's hard to do. And I heard this phrase, be, do, have. And this was maybe one of the most significant ahas for me very recently. And I'm not sure if you've heard of that progression. But we often live in the have, do, be in the reverse where we think, oh, if I have this thing, if I have, you know, the house or the career or the relationship or whatever, then I can do things because I have that and then I'll be happy or I'll be fulfilled or I'll be at peace as opposed to the reverse and just being who you are at your core, whatever that might be. And then being enabled to do things that light you up and fill you up because of that. And then having (laughs) things in, in your world. So that phrase has actually been really helpful to me lately. And even the doing before the having sometimes can be the case. But when you're just thinking about embracing who you are, that's been a a powerful aha for me. And then I think another one has been how incredibly important connection and community is to our well-being. And thinking about well-being as starting with we. We live in kind of this individualistic society, you know, even when it comes to well-being, it's your responsibility, you know, to be well and to be resilient when really we're affected by our environment. My well-being affects your well-being. If I came into this recording with a chip on my shoulder and really rude, that would impact you and your day. There's just, we're constantly, we are ripples throughout our day. We're creating these ripple effects. And thinking, I tend towards isolation when I'm struggling, you know, when something's going on in my world, that's hard. I tend to cocoon and do the opposite of really what we need to do, which is reach out and connect (laughs) with people because it's so impactful for our well-being. And I know lots of people talk about how we're wired to connect, but we really, really are and we need it. So that was a huge aha for me because it kind of goes against what I naturally tend to do. And once I started to lean in and ask for help and just relieve the pressure, I guess, on doing it right. And just being me means being kind of messy in the in life, I guess. In I'm creative and I'm kind of scatterbrained and I, I'm not perfect. I've had this perfectionist weight on my shoulders for my whole life. So learning new ways of being through 
letting go, I guess, and learning more about yourself. I, that answer went down a lot of different paths, but. <laughs> but I do, I, I really do love that. Like, I think for so many people, I always, my message to my kids always are, you know, they'll talk about maybe a, a kid in their class that's behaving a certain way or whatever. And I'll say like, there's more to the story. Yes. They're like, you always say there's more to the story. There, there most there likely is. is more to the story. And, and as well, you know, that tendency to when things are going tough to just want to kind of work through it on your own. I catch myself doing that often. But I do know the best remedy for me is to reach out to a friend and ask to go for a walk. Yes. Do they have like a little bit of time to go for a walk? So A, gets me outside. B, we can talk about whatever it is or not. But either way, I always end up feeling better. So it's, it's, yeah. it's always a little bit hard to take the initiative. I just, as you said, kind of want to deal with it or figure it out, but I always feel better after. Oh yeah. Or you think I'm the only one going through this. Oh yeah. There's that. <laughs> you know, and then when you actually reach out, you think, oh, or you're open about how things actually are for you. Then there's a lot of, oh, I've been there or, oh, I get that. And there's just this, that's one of the pieces of self-compassion is common humanity and just recognizing that you're not alone in that suffering. It's right alongside the beauty of our life is that. That is so what everyone's experience is to different degrees, of course. But yeah. So the other thing that I learned when I was studying positive psychology was that connection is actually a resilience resource. It's something that makes us more resilient. And people want to also feel like they can contribute to us and that they can wrap around us and support us when we're struggling. They don't have that opportunity if we're not vulnerable to ask for that help. You know, and we get caught up in all sorts of things that we're also naturally wired for. So we're wired to connect. We're also wired to notice and focus on the bad things in our lives. That negativity bias was another aha, actually, that I'll, I'll bring up too. Once I learned about that, it made me feel so much more calm and accepting about myself because this is a survival instinct. You know, our ancestors survived because they were hyper attuned to danger around them. And thank you for that. You know, and it's helpful for us <laughs> to be aware of danger, but it can also get in the way of our well-being and our ability to lean in to opportunities that scare us and our ability to see the good things. You know, you can have a million great things that happen in a day. One sour interaction, something that's disappointing happens, and that's all you can see. The rest, like a portrait photo, fades into the background, and it's just the one negative thing. And so even for me, acknowledging that that's built into me helps me give myself grace and compassion when it happens. And you can almost label it like, oh, that's my negativity bias. There's actually a lot of good things over here <laughs> that have happened. Yeah, it is so easy to focus on that one thing. You get like 10 glowing reviews or, you know, pieces of feedback and then there's the one and that, oh, yeah. it just consumes you. It yes. does. And you have to <laughs> consciously and intentionally, yeah. I think that's the other word that's really helped me in the, my work with schools, but also in my own life is just intentionality. These things can take work and practice and being intentional in 
listing out actually the good things. There's, I've never been good at keeping a journal. So gratitude journals have never really been something I've been super good at, but even verbally at the end of the day, sometimes Shane and I will share, you know, three things we're grateful for that day, but an added consideration is three things you appreciate in yourself that day. So sometimes the things we're grateful for end up being about other people. So also directing that gratitude and recognition and savoring towards yourself. Those are great messages and things, again, that we can easily apply and reflect on and think about in terms of our own well-being. So thank you for sharing your aha moments with us. There's a lot. Sorry. That's a no, long list. I, I and I could it. probably keep going. And then, you know, <laughs> life happens and you get in the dip where you're yeah. hard on yourself. And that's what I mean about sometimes I forget. And then I'll be like, oh, right. You, you realized this before. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're just getting that reminder. Yeah. 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 No. And life gets busy, right? So it can, we can lose sight of those, those lessons and, and we need those reminders. That's all part of the learning, right? The repetition yeah. helps to really solidify the learning. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Again, just like a central good teaching practice. A hundred percent. Another question that I wanted to ask you is obviously like life can get so crazy and just busy and overwhelming. And, and as you said, it can be so easy to get so caught up in those negatives. So just in terms of even the people around us, right? Mm -hmm. We can kind of get drawn in or pulled into the negativity. So how can we sort of shift our approach to more hope mongering and positive disruption. <laughs> I, yeah, I love the idea of, of hope mongering. And there's this concept in the positive psychology world called positive deviance and essentially going against the norm and the status quo for honorable reasons and just thinking how, how could we do this differently? And I think one of the, what I have found to be the most powerful way to activate that within myself and others is curiosity and trying to replace judgment with curiosity. So if sometimes our initial reaction is to judge a situation and if we can replace that with instead asking a question about it or getting curious about something that is coming up for us. Even internally, I wonder why I'm having this reaction to this in this way. Or I wonder why, why might I be concerned about what they're doing? Why is that making me feel not enough? What could I learn from that? What might I do differently? You know, for me, I, I took a hard social media break recently because it was just really harm, harming me versus helping me. And I didn't have... I'm still figuring out what, what's the natural, what do I need to exist positively in that space and experimenting with different things and trying different things and being willing to not get it right and it not work out and then try something else. So it's not really a, I don't have a magic answer. If someone has figured that out, I would love to know how to just magically kind of shift away from that. But I think for me, getting curious is helpful. 
and experimenting with different ways of being and also different habits, I guess, to help you with that. So when we're trying to build a new habit or break a habit, friction is so important. So if I don't want to be on my phone at night because when I look on social media, it sends me down the spiral, how can I create more friction so it's harder for me to look at my phone? Because right now that neural pathway is pretty paved. <laughs> it's, it's there and I just, all before I know it, my phone's in my hand and I'm not really intentionally doing it. So how do I make it more difficult for me to access it? So I bought an old school alarm clock that is great. And I don't have my phone in the room anymore because I read all these things about that, but I wasn't doing it. So to actually do that has helped me, I guess, prevent some of those downward spirals before they even happen. I think also when we're more secure with who we are in and accepting it and giving ourselves that self-compassion, we create almost this armor around ourselves where we're less vulnerable or susceptible to that negative energy, or at least the downward spiral of it. You know, you can, you get faster, I guess, at clipping it before it sends you into a place that's really much more challenging to get out of, which I've definitely been there as well. Yeah, it can, it can easily be so consuming and you're right. If, it can be our bad habits or just that those negative thoughts. It's easy to just kind of turn to them or get stuck with them and, and not change things up. So yeah, I, I love how you described your own experiences as well. I think setting boundaries and then actually adhering to them and figuring out basically what are your values? And Susan David, who wrote Emotional Agility, which is also just a wonderful book, and she's a great person to follow too. She posts a lot of things that are about embracing the full spectrum of our emotions. And she talks about walking your why. And when you're trying to unhook from an unhelpful emotion, getting back to you and what's important to you, and then walking your why in that way can help you detach from something that is no longer helpful. Another thing she talks about that I find is really helpful is to depersonalize yourself from the emotion instead of saying, I am sad, saying I'm feeling sad, and then getting curious about that. Like, what is what is that about? What message is that emotion trying to teach me in this moment? Hmm. I'm going to have to check out that book. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it really good and fascinating. And if you're like me and you have a ton of books that you want to read but no time to read them, her social media is honestly it's it's one of the a positive corner in the internet in my view. She shares a lot of really helpful things. And we need those positive corners. Mm -hmm. We do. Online. We really we do. do. We do. Now, one thing that I know we both know and experience is that we spend so much of our time at work and those experiences can really impact 
all other areas of our lives, including our well-being. Um, and I know thinking back to being a young, new teacher, it really did. It was very all-consuming. And I was actually reading back the introduction to my master's thesis to my work colleague, <laughs> because part of my master's, I created a, a new teacher mentorship program. So nice. I was establishing my why for why I was creating this program. And I was thinking back to, yeah, the early, actually the first month as a first, as a new year, new teacher, and just the impact that my work stress had on everything Mm -hmm. else for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious how job crafting and the power of purpose can contribute to our our well-being, be it in the field of education, as busy teachers, or beyond. Yeah. Job crafting is something that I just loved learning about. And when I first heard about it, I thought this would never work in schools because teachers have, we have no control <laughs> over our days. Or we, it's not that we have no control, but we have less control. So there's a lot of things that are set out in your day that are, you know, by the bell, literally. And then I started to learn. I So Amy Rosnowski, she is a professor and had a great honor to learn from her and coin the term job crafting. And they've researched it in a lot of different settings, including education. And the research there is that it does boost teacher resilience and job satisfaction and retention of teachers in, in education. So the idea being that we can intentionally and actively craft our days. So there's job design, which is, okay, I'm a high school psychology teacher. You teach second period, third period, whatever. That's the job design that, you know, we might have some say in, but we have less say in. And it's more, I guess we could think top down. Job crafting is bottom up and thinking, how could I infuse more of my strengths in my day, for example? So we can look at the practice in three components. The first is task crafting. So thinking about the tasks, all the tasks that you do in a day, is there a way that you could change it up so that it is more energizing to you? So for example, marking was a task that I really struggled with my whole (laughs) career. And I tend towards procrastination. So because I wasn't super jazzed to do it, I would leave it to the last minute and then my stress would be even higher (laughs) than it was before. I, I really, I think the part of it that was hard was judgment actually and putting like a numeric value on something. So for me, crafting that task, I, am my most alert in the morning. That's when I'm at my best. And so to shift the day around so that I get to, I'm also a morning person. So getting to school a little bit earlier, putting a realistic number of papers to mark so that you can feel accomplished. Cause I also tend to set these totally unrealistic goals. Like I'm going to mark the whole class set this morning before school starts. So realistic, but to take advantage of my natural strengths, which is, the morning. And also to, you could infuse gratitude in there. Every, you know, at the end of a comment, you could, I ended up taking a long time grading because I would write more comments, 
but it was more energizing. So what's something that you could switch up, I guess? You could switch up the order, maybe tasks you could delegate. Is that something that you need to do? Is that something you could delegate? So there's, it's a very simplified explanation, but there's a lot of practices that can help you craft your tasks. The second piece is relational crafting and thinking, who do I spend my time with in the day? Who are these marigolds who, you know, lift me up and help me thrive? Are there people that I would like to connect with more? How could I intentionally craft more, you know, collisions, I guess we could say in, in the staff room or in the hallway? I'm thinking about teachers, but this works for any profession. And again, just being intentional and in crafting those relationships and the types of connections we want. And the final one is actually all about purpose, cognitive crafting, it's called, which is about our why. What is, why is what we're doing today important to us? That's a question that teams could ask. Why is what we're doing today important to us? And you can think about that in like a global macro level of your career, but you can also think about it in the day-to-day. -day. So this task that I'm doing right now, why is this important? With teaching for the example that we both share in that world, there's a lot outside of our control, a lot that's outside of our control. So you could think, what is meaningful for me to influence within the space of what I can control here? So I can't control my student's home life, but I can control my relationship with their parent in the ways that I behave or the ways that I act. And that's meaningful to me because it's in alignment with my values. So it's just this constant practice of, of crafting and, and taking more control, which a sense of autonomy and agency is also a well-being boost. So I think that's the other thing I would say about well-being is we sometimes think about it in this way that it's extra or there's extra things to do when we can actually doing something like that is well-being in action. That's living it, is thinking about the relationships we want in our work life and then cultivating them or focusing on why we're doing what we're doing and savoring the wins, you know, all of that is well-being in action. Yeah, no, that's, I, and I love how you talked about, you know, really curating those opportunities to bump into those positive people through your day. I, in the workplace, I love when that can happen. And just in my day to day, I actually keep a list on a sticky note <laughs> of people that I haven't connected with in a while that I want to meet up with. And I find that's a good strategy for my well-being. A, it's thinking about who haven't I chatted with in a while or connected with in a while that I'd like to catch up with and then making it happen. And I find when life gets busy and crazy, it's even just looking forward to those moments yes. and those times to catch up. But you've given me so much yeah. to think about. How can I even more intentionally create well-being and wellness opportunities just in my day-to-day -day in small ways that are a part of what I'm already doing. It's not like an extra or an add-on or something that I need to check yes. off my list before I close my eyes at the end of the day. Exactly. I think that's why the, the be, do, have really hit me because it is just, it's a way of being and finding things that, you know, enable us to be our best selves in, in any moment and also give ourselves grace when we need. And that compassion that we 
often give so generously to others and not to ourselves. And the other thing, because I, I, you mentioned purpose too, there's this, it's purposemindset.org, especially for any educators who might be listening, but it's trying to build off growth mindset, which is essentially the mindset of I can learn, you know, and I can learn and grow and purpose mindset is thinking I can be fulfilled and really focusing on, and, and that ties into job crafting and the cognitive and why crafting. And it makes a huge difference for our well-being to be doing things that fill us up. One thing that they learned with job crafting is that it's any job can be job crafted. Any job can be infused with more purpose. Doesn't necessarily mean you need to go out there and find your purpose. So what's purposeful and fulfilling in the thing you're doing right now? Are you able to craft that? Are you able to find those, those things in what you're currently doing? No, I appreciate that that perspective too, because it's not, you're right, about just having to go find something completely new and different. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask you, and especially being a teacher yourself, who is a favorite teacher or what is a favorite learning experience you've had? And why does that person or experience stand out for you? Oh, I love this question. I can think of so many amazing teachers that I have had. I think the the one person I want to celebrate, his name is Mr. McLean, Mr. Greg McLean. He was my music teacher, my band teacher in high school. My parents said in, when I was in grade nine, they would buy me a new clarinet, a wooden clarinet, which is very cool to upgrade from a plastic clarinet. <laughs> if I stayed in band through grade 12. And that was a great deal that they made with me because I did want to quit in later years. And I just loved band. It was like walking into the sanctuary space. And when I reflect back on it, he created the sense of belonging with people who had a shared interest and passion for something and brought us all together. People who were very different and we just connected in that safe place. And I knew we were we could always go in there. You know, if you're having a bad day, you're always welcome in there. And that was such an incredible experience and also inspired me in my own teaching to just have this open door and just strive to create a place where people felt like they could come in at any time, just be and truly experience that sense of belonging, the authentic belonging and, and learn from other people who you normally wouldn't connect or collide with, you know, outside of that room, but together in that room is just magical. He was also so passionate about it. And so that passion ripples out, right? It fills everybody around you when you're doing something that you're passionate about. Other people feed off of that energy and I just loved learning from him because of that. He's so passionate about it. He sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, truly amazing. I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to tell him my gratitude. He unfortunately passed away. And I would just, you know, encourage people to reach out to their teachers if they're around and tell them the impact that they've made. It's just it's unlike any other feeling to feel that on the receiving end, as I'm sure you can relate to as well, Tiana, but to express it also gives you a boost and 
again, not to be a science nerd, but we know that from the research too, that it actually does <laughs> give you a boost to, to express your gratitude to somebody. Yeah, absolutely. And I always try and challenge people if they haven't to let that that special teacher, that person know yes. what a difference they've made for them. Because it is absolutely the best feedback and the most wonderful thing to hear. So when you look back at your own journey, which has been amazing and incredible and trying all sorts of different things, what is something that you are most proud of? Oh, I think that something that I am most proud of is something that I'm continually working on (laughs) is moving through fear. And I guess there's two parts of it. Having the courage to do the things that both terrify and excite me. Um, there's been a smurged word I've been using a lot lately called nervous sighted. I just made it up because I typically feel nervous and excited about things, but normalizing that that's okay, that you can hold these two very different emotions and experiences at one time. And that's normal. Um, so I'm proud of the way I've been able to, I guess, lean into fear and befriend it. I wouldn't say lean into it, but instead of making fear-based decisions where if someone asked me to do something, I would immediately say no because I just was so nervous and scared of it to now kind of befriending my fear and say, I know why you're here. I know that you're here to protect me and keep me safe, but you got to get out of the driver's seat. You know, you can come along for the ride, but you're in the passenger seat because I'm sick of missing out on life and opportunity because you're in the driver's seat and I'm making fear-based decisions. And I'm proud of myself for that continual practice. And I guess maybe also for the acknowledgement that it's a continual practice. You know, it's not just all of a sudden, boof, you're never afraid to do anything. Also, I kind of love that feeling. Do you know that feeling that you're just, that you're alive, that you're doing things that are important to you because your stress response is kicking in? That means it's meaningful to you. So I think that's something that I'm proud of for sure. And the self-acceptance, I guess, along the way that, again, is a continual journey. I don't think that maybe that will never be over. You know, you're constantly learning about yourself and growing and yeah. I love that. I have a few rapid fire questions for you. Mm -hmm. What is something that you would love to learn about or something you would love to learn how to do? I would love to learn pottery. That is something that I would just, I would love to learn how to do. It's always been in the back of my mind. I feel like maybe it would be really calming but also maybe frustrating at the beginning, but I just, I love pottery and I would love to learn how to make it. What is a place that is at the top of your travel bucket list? Greece. I would love to go to Greece. It's beautiful. Is have you been? Yeah. Oh, a long that's time so ago. lovely. That's so a long lovely. Time ago. We'll have to talk about that later. I'll live yes. vicariously through you. <laughs> what is a book, podcast, movie, or TV show, any of the above that you've really enjoyed recently? 
well, I would say really recently, I'm still reading it, but this book on awe is really just, I'm loving it. I'm loving getting lost in thinking about awe experiences. It's a, it's an emotion that we don't always celebrate or talk about, but it's so profound and appreciation of beauty and excellence is one of my top strengths in that via survey. I just love getting lost in nature. Music can spark an awe experience. And yeah, I, I really have enjoyed that. My reading list is going to be very long after this conversation. <laughs> Good thing I'll have some time this summer. Yes. I'm sure there's podcasts on it too, because that's my go-to yeah. if I don't have time, which is usually the case to read a book. I, you know, go find a, a podcast on it. Yeah. Because then you can do walk or I clean and listen to podcasts at the same time. It allows you to kind of do exactly. more than one thing. Yeah, exactly. If you could sit down and have a conversation with someone that you would love to learn from, who would it be and why? Oh, I'm not sure exactly wh which person, but I would love to, I would love to sit down. Can it be people who are no longer here? Absolutely. I would love to sit down with my own ancestors and just learn, just ask them questions and get curious, you know, learn about what it would have been like to come to Saskatchewan when there was nothing really, you know, what was that like? And the, re to learn from their resilience and just to have those conversations, I think would be really cool. I guess I, I, am I the why? I think it's really interesting to understand where you come from, you know, and just the, your family, your own family history. And it would just be really neat to learn from them. And I honestly, my list would be super, super long. We'd be here forever. Cause I want, <laughs> I love to learn. I'd love to learn from a million different people, but Big names aside, I, I just, it would be really neat to speak with your own ancestors. That would be so incredible. Now, I wanted to ask you, just given that education really plays such a big part in everything that we do, so how we work and live and play and explore and build relationships, do you have any final thoughts or words of wisdom to empower or support people in their own teaching and learning journeys? I think that self-acceptance, self-love, and self-compassion have been so incredibly impactful in my world, in my own life, but also in, you know, lots of people that I work with and, and talk to, because I think it acknowledges the fact that being a human can be really, really hard for everybody. It's not just you who's going through a hard time and to feel comfort in that. And to know that you have sometimes more power and control than you realize. You know, my perspective is incredibly privileged as well. So I want to acknowledge that. We all have agency and the ability to make these choices, I guess, in, in our lives within the context that we live in, to reach out to your community can really help with that, your relationships, your connections. You and I met because we did just that, you know, we're female entrepreneurs and looking for community to support 
us in a brand new scary adventure. And also to, you know, do the gulpy thing, like the thing that you have been, that's kind of just been there for a while that you've been thinking about doing, or you'd kind of like to do, but it's, it's scary. The confidence comes in the doing, you know, it's, people aren't just more confident than others. They, it gets built up over time and acknowledging that for yourself that, you know, you can be fulfilled you can do hard things and you also are surrounded by people that can support you with that. And if you don't have community, there's community out there. I think we have such an amazing access, like the internet is wonderful for that, you know, to check out something that you want to learn or something you want to try and see if there's a free community that you can connect with. Is there anything that I've said that you would like me to reiterate? Like, is there anything that I've said in the episode that you think would be helpful to come back to? Yeah, I think if you like to kind of reinforce, like the thing that I connect with and resonate so much is just about being curious. Mm. And, you know, you were just sort of finishing off with what you're saying about doing the thing. And Mm. I think, you know, it's so easy to get kind of stuck in what we're doing and in the day to day. But if we stay curious, that could be a tool to kind of help us navigate like those nudges and feelings that we're having that the the curiosity piece really stuck with me. I think curiosity, well, it's actually also a character strength that might show up in your constellation. If you do the via character survey, it's one of my top ones. I think getting, being curious about yourself, being curious about others, curiosity about what's out there in the world that you could try, we can really get caught up in the day-to-day and kind of the blinders of our own lives. And curiosity can really open that up and not only help us reframe judgment, but also expectation or attachment to things, which can also really impact our well-being, sometimes in a negative way. I think practice, there's also ways that we can practice and and cultivate curiosity. And that website also has some resources there. But yeah, curiosity is definitely something to lean into. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your story and all your words of wisdom with us today. I really appreciate it. And if our listeners want to learn more about you and all the exciting things that you're up to, where are the best places to find you? Yeah, I thank you, first of all, for having me on, Tiana. I just, this has been a joy. I am back on Instagram now <laughs> after my hiatus. So my personal handle is Dana Fulweiler Volk. And I also have a podcast called Teacher Fan Club. And it's all about gratitude and well-being for educators, though some of the topics are also relevant to everybody. So we have listeners that are outside of education. And I also created a virtual well-being space for educators centered around well-being and infusing well-being into schools called the Well-Ed Project. So you can find that. So it's teacherfanclub.com, and that will also link you to Well-Ed, but the Well-Ed website is well-ed.com. Amazing. I'll make sure to have all of those in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me, Dana. It was just great to connect with you and to learn from you today.
Likewise, thank you so much for the conversation. Thank you for listening to the People Teaching People podcast. I'm your host, Tiana Fesh. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Tiana Fesh and on my website, tianafesh.com. I would love it if you would subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast. Your feedback and support are so appreciated. See you next time where we will continue to explore all things teaching and learning together.